0: everybody and welcome to another edition actually the Super Bowl edition of No Filter Sports Podcast I'm Bob Page your host Denny's feeling under the weather again today folks we're sorry about that he can't be with us we do have Brandon McAfee because we wouldn't have a show without Brandon at the controls and and chipping in so um you know for younger people like like Brandon the question I would ask at the beginning is how do you know when you're Old. How do you know when you're old? We have Super Bowl 55 coming up on Sunday. I've seen every single every single Super Bowl ever played. Every one of them. And how about this? My old friend and colleague, Jerry Green of the Detroit News. I'm in frequent touch with Jerry. Chat a lot. He's now 92 years old. Jerry Green has covered Every Super Bowl game ever played. He's not going to break the string, despite the fact that he hasn't been in great health lately. He's okay, but he's not in great health. Jerry is going to be in Tampa covering this game as well. So that's how you know when you're old. And I think there are a lot of you out there listening right now, because we do have kind of an older demographic who also have seen every Super Bowl ever played. How do you know when you have too much money? Jim, Mattress, Mac, mackinvale remember this guy he, you know he pops up every now and then in the super bowl i know
1: mattress he, mac we've taught, yeah, yeah, I've yeah, talked yeah i talked to him yeah. a couple of times he's wild is that
0: right yeah 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 so this guy is guys, the houston furniture store owner he's known for making giant sports bets and he has placed now the largest wager so far on the super bowl he has bet 3.46 million dollars on the underdog tampa bay bucks who are going off three and a half point underdogs and um you know i don't know that's it's kind of offensive to think that you have so much money when i hate to sound like the classic 1960s a liberal i essentially am but when kids go to bed hungry in this country at night and there are a lot of them who do when you're betting 3.46 million dollars on a football game and knowing you could lose it and knowing that it really doesn't matter. But that's, uh, that's, that's the system. That's gonna, what it I'm is, folks. I'm going to defend
1: Mattress Mac here by saying that he does a lot of charitable works in the Houston area. Great.
0: <laughs> Great. I'm glad to hear that. So it's defending champion Kansas City versus Brady, Gronk, and Tampa. And what's a home game for the Bucks in Tampa? But it's also, Brandon, the fans versus the cutouts. And right now, the cutouts are leading. The NFL says 25,000 fans are going to be allowed at the game, but they will also have 30,000 cutouts in the stands to make it seem like a big crowd is actually there. Yeah. Looks like they're going to play it, too. Though The Chiefs had a COVID scare this week. Some 20 people, including quarterback Patrick Mahomes, other players and staff members were in line for a haircut Sunday with a barber who tested positive for COVID-19. So backup Chiefs center Daniel Kilgore was in mid haircut with this guy when the Chiefs found out. And they pulled the barber. They said, wait, wait a minute, you know, you, you tested you Stop cutting the guy's hair. Once his COVID-19 test results came in, now they were both wearing masks. So Kilgore was poking fun at the news and poking fun at himself afterwards. Did you guys see this? He tweeted a picture of himself online with <laughs> half of his head shaved. Sure. <laughs> You're laughing, Brandon. You must well, have seen it.
1: I did. I did see it. It's a funny picture, but the, but it is a Photoshop. So it is a fake. It's not. A, it's not the real. It's not the actual haircut that he received. But that, that's a very dangerous thing here. I mean, thank God that they caught it when they caught it. Otherwise, you know, the entire Kansas City Chiefs team would be infected and would be either pushing the Super Bowl back. Or having to play with a backup Kansas City Chief team. Now, I'm I'm seriously curious on what they would have done. Could you imagine if they said, "Hey, by the way, Travis Kelsey and uh, Patrick Mahomes and uh, Lashawn McCoy and, <laughs> and Tyreek Hill—they're—they're they're all not playing." Do you really? Do you think the, the NFL would have tried to push it back a week? You're asking a great question. I thought about this. I don't know. It almost and, happened. And, and, how, yeah, and how many
0: guys, by the way, qualify for pushing the game back? You know, well, okay, so Mahomes is out. We'll go with Chad Henney instead, the former Michigan standout. Sure. But at what point do you say – that's nah, too many guys. But we got to push this back.
1: All the Bucks fans would say, oh, no, you got to play. You know, this is the Super Bowl. There's a date. But then again, all the Chiefs fans would use previous games in this NFL schedule as an example that you could push it back. We saw the Baltimore Ravens. They got pushed back four or five days because of weird tests. I think the Steelers got pushed back because we were supposed to have that big primetime Thursday night, uh, Thanksgiving Day game. They got pushed back. So, yeah, essentially, if this would have been worse than what it was, and this barber would have uh, infected all these these players, we could have seen a a mid-February Super Bowl.
0: Maybe. Or how about March? Do you remember when we had Rick Goslin on the show a little while ago? Uh, My boyhood buddy, I grew up playing sports against uh, on the east side of Detroit. The longtime NFL writer Rick said he thought he thought the Super Bowl might be played in March this year. And to think the NFL did not lose a game. Yeah, there were some games that were rescheduled and pushed back, but they didn't lose a single game. That's pretty interesting pretty interesting. So I think you look at what's going on with the furniture guy making the big bet, and you look at what's going on with the the COVID barber and everything. We've now just about run out of topics and features on the Super Bowl. Everything else has been written. So now some woman writing in USA Today on Wednesday, and it's hard to believe Mick Paper, as is derisively known, published this column with the headline, (laughs) Opinion. Tom Brady has gotten an undeserved pass for his past support of Donald Trump. So Tom <laughs> Brady had no right to support Donald Trump, which he did. He
1: definitely got a lot of hell when uh, when he was you know doing that interview and the MAGA hat was above his locker. He got yeah. a lot of hell for that because Trump was a pretty polarizing figure.
0: But but again, <laughs> Tom didn't have a right to support him in the main before the Trump instigated attack on our nation's capital. Brady was just the kind of person who should have supported Donald Trump. He's a multimillionaire whose personal financial interests were also Mr. Trump's. So what? There's a crime in that? Is Brady supposed to apologize? Yeesh. And as I said on the last show, there's one week too many weeks in preparation for the Super Bowl. One week of hype is more than enough. It is hockey and basketball season now. It ain't football season anymore. And spring training starts down here in sunny Florida. It is sunny today, Brandon, in just a couple of weeks. Supposedly, I think they've got that ironed out now. So we're going to have much more on the Super Bowl. The Matthew Stafford trade and even baseball with my longtime New York colleague, Gary Myers. I think most of you know who that is, one of the most famous football writers and broadcasters, for that matter, in the country. And he's going to be coming up a little bit later on. College football's national signing day was Wednesday. As always, the Rich got richer. Alabama, they say, had the top class. But this is pretty impressive. Michigan, according to a couple rating services, has the 10th best uh, class in the country. But you know what? Jim Harbaugh, Brandon hasn't had a problem recruiting the top kids, the five stars, the four stars. Problem's been coaching them and then developing them.
1: That's true, especially
0: quarterbacks.
1: Year after year after year, there's this guy, there's that guy, and uh, you know when it comes to the quarterbacks, I'm I'm pretty sure all these quarterbacks. Michael Spath, he uh, he had the information for us, you know, a few weeks back, but. uh, I, what was it was it seven different guys so far and the quarterback that jim harbaugh yeah. has said is gonna be the man and who has not been the man
0: now they are bring in another one they got this five star hot shot kid coming in and I, I don't know what harbaugh's gonna do right now i mean don't be surprised if he actually starts for michigan this year guys have been leaving the program left and right as everybody well knows I don't put, you know, too much stock in recruiting players based on how many stars that services give them. You just never know. You remember that Kirk Cousins was a two-star out of West Michigan? Nobody really wanted him. Do you remember what Le'Veon Bell was in Columbus, Ohio, where he's from? Two stars. Ohio State didn't want him. You can go on and on and on. Now, MSU fans still, though, I don't think like this, or if haven't heard it yet, they're not going to like this. Carson Castile, he's the three-star linebacker from Florence High School down in Alabama. Bama didn't want him. Auburn didn't want him. You know who did and who he was going to sign with? Troy. So he he was going to stay home in Alabama, in-state, and play for Troy. Then Michigan State called. Yep. He went back on his commitment to Troy. He's just signed with MSU. He was going to Troy. And then Michigan State went down to Alabama to get him. Hell, Kenny Willikas, the great Kenny Willikas, was a walk-on. I mean, and maybe this Southern boy is going to be great, but it doesn't look too good for Mel on paper, does it? And then there was the case of four-star defensive lineman Sean Benny, whom Michigan just flipped from Michigan State. This kid's 6'5". 275 he played at oak park high in suburban detroit and he was number five in the entire state of michigan on the detroit news blue chip list this year that doesn't sound too good for mel either though the spartans did lose out on benny he signed the top football Basketball combo prospect, ready for this in America. That's what they're saying. His name is Keon Coleman. He's the four-star wideout out of Louisiana. But the big thing is, again, he's a great basketball prospect too. And and he's saying, you know, he's going to play basketball for Tom Izzo. Apparently, they're going to let him play both at Michigan State. So well, that's some good news, right?
1: They're going to let them. They're going to let him play both, huh?
0: Yep, yeah, that's some good news. Now, you, you you think I'm wrong when I say you just don't know about this recruiting stuff and about young players. You probably saw at Orlando Tuesday night, Fred Van Fleet set a franchise record with 54 points and had a career-best 11 three-pointers as the Raptors beat the Magic 123-108. to According to the Elias Sports Bureau, it was the most points in an NBA game ever scored by an undrafted player. So so nobody in the NBA thought Van Fleet could play at this level when he came out of Wichita State. He's already got a championship ring, too. It's so difficult to evaluate these players. But again, the, 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 the championship teams, the winning franchises, simply do the best jobs. Everybody makes mistakes evaluating players, whether it's at the high school level, the college level, or what. But it's the teams that make the fewest mistakes, they wind up winning. I didn't see the email from the Pistons PR department until Tuesday morning. It said Detroit at Denver game postponed with a dateline of New York coming out of league headquarters. It read the NBA game scheduled for tonight between the Detroit Pistons. That was Monday night. Between the Detroit Pistons and Denver Nuggets at Ball Arena has been postponed in accordance with the league's health and safety protocols. Because of ongoing contact tracing within the Pistons, the team does not have the league-required eight available players to proceed with the game against the Nuggets. Well, it turns out there was more to the story than just this PR poop sheet release. The Pistons were in their bleeping video room just prior to the game getting ready to go take the court when they were told they couldn't play. Can you envision uh, envision the scene? Some medical emissary breathlessly racing into the room, interrupting Dwayne Casey in mid-sentence. Coach, coach, you can't play. You can't play tonight. It's too dangerous. I mean, how absurd. How absurd. Unfortunately, it was deemed by the masters of absurdity that the pathetic Pistons could play the next night at Salt Lake City, where they lost by 12 to Utah, despite 27 points from whom else these days? Jeremy Grant. Pistons were down by as many as 28 points in that game.
1: You got to follow the protocols, though. I mean, they have them set up. They have to follow them. That's just it's the, the rules yeah, are the rules when it comes to it. We're going to see a yeah. lot more games get postponed.
0: And it gets back to the question, again, being asked rhetorically by NBA players. Should we be doing this? Should we be doing this at all right now? And the NHL, which we'll get to in a moment, is even worse. Michigan State had its own COVID problems, as we all know. And Michigan's not even playing right now, which really hurts because they're such a great team. So State did play gulp at Iowa Tuesday night, as they were scheduled to, after one humiliating loss and one unbelievably humiliating loss. Tom started his eighth different lineup this year in that game. And it kind of looked like it was working, didn't it? I mean, they came out they were playing hard. Aaron Henry, whose Shakespearean tragic flaw is this inconsistency, looked really good again, other than blowing a wide-open dunk shot. Josh Langford looked like he was playing as though he was pissed off. And Shouldn't you be pissed off if you were Michigan State at this point? He looked like he was sick of being embarrassed. The state has been, and they were double-teaming Luca Garza. Of course, virtually everybody tries to do that. As so a state jumped to an early lead, they're ahead at Iowa City, eighteen to eleven, with thirteen thirty-five to go in the first half. And Tom suddenly pulls Aaron Henry out of the game. Huh? I almost jumped up in front of my TV. Said, "Why? Why? Why? Why take him out? Is the kid tired? What is he? Nineteen years old." And they had that layoff anyway, but you know what? That's just the way Tom Izzo coaches. It it drives me crazy. Drive you crazy too out there, Michigan State fans? It did not hurt this time. Henry came back in a little bit later, scored 15 points in the first half, had a very good game. With 2.48 to go in the first half, Iowa finally came back, though, and they tied it at 38 on two Garza free throws, erasing what had been an 11-point Michigan State lead then Garza converted a three-point play to put the Hawkeyes ahead for the first time. So at 48-43, Iowa at halftime, and that was the most points Michigan State has allowed in the first half all season long. Looked like Iowa was going to blow it open, but the Spartans came back to take a couple of leads eight minutes into the second half. Then they cut the Iowa lead to two in the final minute until Langford missed an open 15-foot fadeaway with 23 seconds left, and that was it. And they're talking about moral victories for Michigan State. Can you imagine a program this proud with this much success under Tom, and it's a moral victory because you almost beat Iowa? Let's... The final score was 84-78. They did play with pride. They did play hard. I'm not ashamed to admit this because we talked about being old at the top of this program. My freshman year as a Michigan State student, 1969-70. And I mention that because you have to go back to that season of Michigan State basketball, a 2-7 and start to match the worst start Michigan State has had since then. Things ain't good, but things should get better because they're going to play Nebraska Mm. on Saturday. (laughs) Yeah, Nebraska's
1: the only team in the Big Ten that's worse than the Spartans. They are just about dead last here. They've lost four in a row. It's an off year.
0: Dare we consider? Dare we think about it? Could it possibly take place? You never know in sports, folks. Could Michigan State lose that game Saturday night?
1: Oh, of could course. Be? Of course they can. They can lose they any could. game right now. But Uh-oh. Nebraska is zero uh, five in the division here. So
0: yeah, but this is just look. This is a crazy year. Tom Izzo is, <laughs> needless to say his accomplishments speak for themselves there's nothing wrong with tom tom is tom michigan state is michigan state maybe not this year but tom's going to be back michigan state's going to be back too we're going to say a big thank you now to hall financial for being a great supporter of this show and for that matter all the shows on drew lane's red shovel network and we've been telling it for some time folks that mortgage interest rates are in the twos right now you still got a mortgage the twos if you still have a mortgage and it's higher than that. Call Hall Financial today, and you're going to find out how much refinancing your mortgage can save you every single month. So you go to our website, where you may be already right now, nofiltersportspodcast.com, and there you're going to see a Hall Financial link. You click that, and it'll get you started on the refi. Eli refined, uh, refinanced his home uh, through Hall Financial. I did as well. Uh, and he,
1: oh, you did too? I went from from a, Yeah, I went from a 475 to a 2.9. I'm in the twos.
0: That's pretty good to tell you the truth, real good. And they say it's also extremely quick and easy, which is, I'm sure, it's, you know, what you found it to be. Eli said he did within two weeks, like they get this stuff done. So, again, click the hall financial link on, on our website or just give them a call if you want. It's just such an easy number to remember, you don't even need to write it down 248 3085000. You're going to find out how quick and easy the hall process is. Make sure you tell them. The No Filter Sports Podcast, yes, with Eli Zaret, not here. Yes, with Danny McLean, not here today. Bob Page and Brandon McAfee are with you. You tell them that we sent you, okay? You're listening to the No Filter Sports Podcast. As for the Detroit Red Wings, when was the last time you guys saw a hockey game and you could just flip the channel to something else? something else after less than five minutes because the game was already over? Tampa scored three quick goals in the first four minutes and 54 seconds Wednesday evening or late afternoon as it was, eventually chasing starting goaltender Thomas Grice during a commercial timeout, no less, we didn't have this procession, you know, where where the starting goaltender <laughs> had to skate off and favor the backup. They just kind of did it. And you, do, you didn't really know that they had changed goaltenders until maybe a minute's worth of action was already underway after the commercials. Now, can you imagine in the old days when our world was a normal place, you know, when they actually let fans into games? So you pay a lot of money for your seats. Yeah, You're a little late getting there. Things happen for whatever reason. You get to your seat. You sit down. And the game's already over. Joe Micheletti, the Rangers color commentator on my old home, Madison Square Garden Network in New York, does the games with Sam Rosen, one of the truly great play-by-play guys there. Joe's not a controversial guy. Joe usually doesn't have a lot of big opinions, but he lit into the wings, and he almost harped on the fact throughout the game that Jeff Blaschel is in the final year of his contract. At one point in the third period... Micheletti said, and I quote, Steve Eiserman will get the job done in Detroit because he's done it before. But one thing you can't tolerate is lack of effort. And we've seen that at times tonight, end quote. Between periods, here was Anson Carter, the ex-Michigan State star on the NBC studios. He was doing his best wait till next year thing. And he mentioned that Stevie Y had built the Lightning, starting with Tampa's great defenseman, Victor Hedman. Then he said... The top draft choice in the NHL next season likely is going to be six foot, five inch stud defenseman from the University of Michigan, Owen Power. And the wings are kind of, you know, maybe waiting to see if they get this kid Owen Power to start the rebuild formally.
1: This was a suggestion. This was a a suggestion that the Red Wings, who are only what, two, seven and two, that they're already tanking. That's already over.
0: Well, the the players aren't tanking. I mean, they've got pride. I mean, they look they they want to win, but they sure didn't look like they wanted to win that much. I'm starting be to come, intimidated.
1: I'm starting to come around on you know the more criticism for Jeff Blashill. Before I just kind of figured he was a placeholder and stuff like that. But you know we're seeing this team, and when you take a look at the plus minus, there's only three players on this entire team that are not a minus player. Yeah, that's well,
0: a function of the losing, right? Uh,
1: I mean, Anthony. Mantel, well, it's causing the losing. One of the two, right? Gosh. Ugh.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I've been saying for two years he should have been fired, which is I, and I don't like to say that. I don't like to say guys should lose their jobs because Jeff Blashill is a good guy. Jeff Blashill is a great hockey guy. He's a really good coach. He's been a successful assistant coach, and I think that's probably where he should be. I just look at Blashill; He's kind of mild-mannered. I, I just don't think he motivates players, and I don't think guys are playing scared, which sometimes you have to. I'm I'm reading this book right now by uh, author Peter Golenbach on the life of Billy Martin, and it's really it's concomitantly the life of George Steinbrenner as well. And it's really fascinating study in character how Martin was able to get so successful, at least for short periods of time, as a Major League Baseball manager with any number of different teams, one of which was the Tigers. You know, the motivational thing, the the fact that guys are scared, I just don't see that with Blashoff. So they're going to wait for Owen Power now if they get him. Who knows? And the Wings, unfortunately, have to play at Tampa. No, no,
1: no. Let me me set it up for you. The Red Wings will get dead last again, and then we'll end up with the sixth overall pick because we'll lose the lottery once again.
0: (laughs) Now, uh, I don't know if you noticed, if you even bothered to watch the game, and I certainly don't blame you if you didn't, because the Wings are not a fun watch. They're not entertaining right now. But in the third period of that one, NBC was promoting the next game up. They had a doubleheader, actually, after the Wings tampa game. The second one was the Bruins at Philly against the Flyers. And NBC actually put a box up, you know, with the NHL's blessings, obviously, a box up on the screen sponsored by some type of a gambling company, which showed three things. They didn't show the goaltenders of the next game. They weren't telling tell you about the line matchups for the next game. It showed the gambling odds, the gambling odds. Sure. The spread on the, but I haven't really noticed this in any other game so far. Oh. The spread on the game you haven't noticed sp- this
1: yet. I'm telling you, the last couple of weeks, the, the the advertisements have been in a frenzy on the Yeah, these but this wasn't sites. an
0: advertisement. This is no commercial. This is just a box, and the, they had the announcers you know John Forslund read over this thing yes, so because it, there's a it, it,
1: partnership somewhere there trust me yeah. there is a partnership somewhere this is this yeah. is all because of all this brand new stuff that we're seeing this legal gambling you you're seeing uh you know even when you even when you watch like MLB tonight they'll they'll say hey by the way here's our daily fantasy lineup that we like blah 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 all because it's brought to you by something there is some money uh that that's that's exchanging hands
0: Yeah. So, so Brandon, they they showed the spread on the game, then the total goals and over-under kind of thing like football underneath that, and then the money line. I've never quite understood how that works. Um, As Denny said so quaintly on one of the recent shows and how he came up with this metaphor, I'm not sure. You put enough fish on the table, somebody's going to start eating them. Meaning, if you promote gambling on professional sports enough, sooner or later, a fix is going to come in. I'm sitting here you know, thinking to myself again, uh, when I was still living in Detroit, you know, years ago, and like a lot of you folks watching every Tigers game on TV with George Kell and Al Kaline, you know, the Tigers had a doubleheader, playing the Orioles, the Yankees, whatever. And toward the end of the first game, can you just hear George Kell and Kaline? Well, don't forget, game two of our doubleheaders next, and there's the price on that game. The over-under on runs scored on that game, Al Kaline. And having Kaline make some comment about what game would would be best to bet and, and what bets on that particular game would be best to make. It's, it's, I mean, it's just crazy stuff going on. Are
1: you saying that you don't support the uh, sports gambling?
0: No, I don't support the sports gambling. Well, really. people are, obviously, pe- Obviously, <laughs> people are going to do it. I know we got it. People are going to gamble and you do have to live with it. Um, But but I just the terrible tragedy that sports gambling takes among so many people. Look, it's a moral argument. I'm not suggesting people shouldn't be allowed to gamble because they're going to do it anyway. But the horror stories that come out of gambling, a person very close to me, you know, has had gambling addiction problems now, apparently resolved hopefully for good i worked with a guy at abc radio nationally in new york remember the Stuart little books from your childhood brandon sure where it was so heartbreaking when, when when Stuart came home and his mommy and daddy had moved nothing was left in the house they didn't tell Stuart where they'd moved happened to this guy i knew this buddy of mine he was such a degenerate gambler he came home from abc one night and his wife and kids had moved the house was empty they left him no forwarding address. So I just, I think I'm not, I'm not, my perception is colored. I admit it because I'm not a gambler. Okay. I don't gamble, but I just feel so sorry for the horror stories you hear from gambling. And now that it's, that's out that's why in the they open, always
1: say, uh, that's why you always see the advertisement. And at the very end, they say, yeah. gamble responsibly. If you have a problem, call this number.
0: Right. Yep. Yeah, and look, it's like drinking. I mean, you know, I, most of us I like I like a drink or two uh as well as anybody, or three, even sometimes. I've never had a drinking problem, so it doesn't mean just because you gamble. You must you're really hate slot machines gambler. then,
1: because uh you got a lot better odds of winning a sports bet than you do at a slot machine. So do you rally yep. you rally against casinos often? No. No, because, again,
0: it's just people enjoy these things. I, what I, On the rare occasions, and I haven't been to one in a long time, usually when I go, it's just to see music. Uh, they have great concerts at some of these places. But I feel so sorry. You walk through these casinos and you see especially senior citizens, I guess, retired with nothing else to do. And they're just sitting there staring into these machines. Playing the nickel slots or the twenty-five cent slots all day long.
1: Yeah, but if you get again, that win, it's a big rush, man.
0: I, yeah, I, yeah, really, it,
1: it is. It is,
0: and I'm not again. Don't write letters, folks, saying that, you know uh, that, that that I suggested gambling should be outlawed. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that sooner or later, as Danny McLean intimated, professional sports is going to have a problem. Now that they're in league with all these gambling you see, operations, you
1: were alluding to the the point that a fix would be in. and some sort, are you saying that you? believe— Yeah, games
0: fixed. Yes.
1: Okay, you 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 truly believe that the NHL you're going to have guys that are uh, just letting the puck go right through their legs? Because if that's maybe. the case, then maybe we need to uh, investigate the, the the Red Wings' newest we, goaltender, who's 0 but, and but, six and two.
0: Brandon, we had an NBA referee that disgraced Tim Donahue, who was throwing games a few years ago. We had a point shaving scandal at Boston College, and I think there were others going on. What the, You know, this isn't going to happen, maybe in spades in the future. I don't know. I ain't got the answers. I'm just throwing this out for conversation's sake, because this is a talk show. So the Wings are now getting some of their players back from COVID. But what's going on in the league is a joke. The New Jersey Devils have 17 guys, 17 under COVID protocol, all games canceled for a while. They ain't got nobody to play. So the Buffalo Sabres have announced that they're not going to play again, if they can, even then, until February 8th, because of the number of players they have out due to COVID. And the Sabres are angrily claiming that they got all these COVID cases from the last game they played against the New Jersey Devils about that
1: yep it's going to keep happening too all season long until you get every single one of these athletes vaccinated
0: in what other area of our great country are you guilty until proven innocent as you've no doubt heard mickey Callaway, who managed the mets for two seasons before being fired in 2019 has been accused of making unwanted sexual advances by five women five different reporters who work in sports media over at least five years during which Callaway was employed by three teams, including the Mets. So he's now been suspended. No questions asked. He's guilty. He's now the pitching coach of the LA Angels. He did write in his defense to the Athletic, which broke the story that he would not respond to, quote, general allegations, but that he looked forward to, quoting again, an opportunity to provide more specific responses. He said that he'd been involved only in consensual relationships and that his conduct, quoting again, was in no way intended to be disrespectful to any women involved. Now, the five women, all of whom spoke to The Athletic on the condition of anonymity, described a pattern of Mickey Calloway's repeatedly sending unwanted emails and text messages, including, you know, there were no dick pics, shirtless photographs. One woman (laughs) said he asked her to send him nude photographs, while another said he thrust his crotch toward her face while she was interviewing him. (sighs) Okay, uh, I wonder why they won't put their names to this. I wonder why they're coming forward now. And I am not saying this did not happen. If it did happen, I am not saying Mickey Calloway doesn't deserve some kind of serious discipline. Here's what I am adding to this. If I wanted to, and I'm not going to do it for obvious reasons, I could start to name names for you of the various women, quote unquote, sports journalists I know. I know. A couple colleagues, even ex-colleagues who've had sexual relations with the players they purported to cover as legitimate reporters. Drop some names. I can't. I'm not, t- I'm just not going to, and a couple of them don't, are, no filter, are dead. Now. No filter. A couple of them are dead. now. a oh, precedent for this was, esta- for sure. was established. Press A precedent for this was established a long time ago from the days when women reporters first started covering professional sports. We now have many women reporters and these names I can name Brandon you know them anyway. It's public knowledge. These women, journalists, quote-unquote, married married professional athletes. Fox Sports reporter Erin Andrews is married to now ex-NHL player Jared Stoll. Samantha Ponder took her last name from being married to ex-Vikings quarterback Christian Ponder. The oh-so-hot sportscaster Lisa Guerrero. Marrying pitcher Scott Erickson, now divorced, who's in so much trouble over that drag racing incident that killed two brothers that we talked about on our last show. And there have also been many dating relationships involving women, sports journalists and jocks too. Are are they suggesting, is there an implication that, Oh, well uh, they only met them, you know, when they were no longer playing sports, nothing happened while an athlete was actually active. And while the reporters were actually reporting on games.
1: So are you saying, so, uh, so like when Scott Erickson, you know, was, was hitting on Lisa Guerrero because it ended up that they were in a relationship it's okay but if they would not have ended up in a relationship then Scott Erickson should be in trouble for flirting with her I see your point uh I still think you should name those chicks
0: <laughs> I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not, I just granted you know, I just wouldn't do that I, it's just not fair I'm not, I'm not gonna do that uh but but again um I have told women with whom I was close, who were reporters, uh, sports reporters, and worked in our sports industry, said, you know, you're free to live your life and do whatever you want, the way all of us are. But don't screw the jocks. Don't do it. Because there goes your reputation. And when you or if you do something like that, you're essentially casting aspersions on every woman reporter who covers professional sports, and the vast, obviously overwhelming majority of them are solid professionals who would never compromise their dignity, would never traduce what they do by having an affair with an athlete. Again, they purport to cover as a professional journalists. So you know, so this, this begs a larger question, Brandon. Is this kind of like women serving in the military right alongside men? If you put, I know this is going to shock you folks. If you put young men and women, young men and women with hormones raging, you put them together, you think stuff's going to happen? You just hope it's consensual, which again, though he may be lying, Mickey Calloway says was the case. It seems like they play a different game in Japan where PC pressure can be withstood Yoshiro Mori is the president of the Tokyo Olympic Organizing Committee. Yeah, they're planning to go ahead with the games this summer, believe it or not, COVID or not. So he said on Thursday that he would not resign, despite pressure on him to resign after he made alleged, supposed derogatory comments about women earlier in the week. So what was it that he said? Mori was reported as saying during an online meeting of the Japanese Olympic Committee Board of Directors, that women talk too much in meetings. That's what he said. <laughs> Some women talk too much. Imagine that. Do You have any direct experience with that Brandon? I don't women know if he, talked to?
1: His, his, I think the issue there is he just broad brushed the entire uh, gender. You know, he probably had an issue with one or two individuals and he broad brushed the entire gender I and know. in these days we have to be, you know, we have to keep things so PC you're just not allowed to do that.
0: Well, here's a guy who stood up so far, I wouldn't be surprised to eventually force him out. And yes, some men talk too much, too. That's true. Some people talk too much.
1: No, absolutely. Yes,
0: I've been around any number of women in my life. And yes, have been in relationships with them. Who talk too much. The Olympics, so man, this what? is going to
1: be interesting here. I don't, you know, we're going to have back-to-back Olympic years because this is technically the 2020 Olympics that had to be canceled last year due to COVID. I still don't know how they're going to get, you know, you're talking about bringing in people from every single country on Earth to one specific location during a pandemic. I, I don't know. Are these athletes all going to get the vaccine first? Uh, are they all going to have... The same type of vaccine, is it going to work towards all the strains? Uh, I, I I don't know. This is going to be kind of a weird one to see. We might see a lot of people who win some gold medals who maybe I wouldn't say undeserving, but may not have won in the past because of other that's, you know athletes who aren't allowed to be there. Yeah. And then next year we have the Winter Olympics. It's going to be
0: back yeah, to back. That, yeah, that's that's a really good point, Brandon. And, and I'm wondering this also if some of you folks uh, out there weren't like me when the the mention of the Tokyo Olympics, not this particular story, but the mention came up recently. We've all been so involved with what's going on in baseball, football, basketball, hockey, in our own lives, in our own lives due to this disaster, this COVID pandemic. What? They're having the Olympics this year? Oh, yeah. I remember that. Yeah, they were going to do the Olympics in Tokyo. And they're what? They're still doing the Olympics in Tokyo? They are. So they say.
1: We'll see. I mean, if if we can use... The, the four major sports in the U.S. as a barometer, I'm, I'm, I'm going to think that the Tokyo Olympics might have a few COVID issues in a few months.
0: You would think so. You would think so. Are you having issues with your finances right now? money in the stock market which has gone sky high you weren't one of those people who shorted the market were you and lost a bunch of dough were you involved in this recent highly publicized story where people made gazillions and also lost gazillions betting on GameStop? so if you think you need some help with this and i think most people would admit that they do let luke Nowaki take care of you he works with pinnacle wealth strategies And Luke will help you plan for your future family obligations, your own retirement, whatever you need, by helping to navigate you through this morass. He's got a track record of success. He's got decades of experience. And that will enable Luke Nowacki to create a custom solution for you or your business. You're going to call Luke. Here's the number, 248. 663 4748. And then you're going to set up a complimentary consultation with him. It doesn't talk to him. It doesn't cost you anything to talk to him. If you feel comfortable with what Luke lays out for you, with what he's suggesting, then let him do his thing and help you take care of your finances and provide for your future. He's ethical. He's knowledgeable. Luke Nowacki of Pinnacle Wealth Strategies. His advisory services are offered through Royal Alliance Associates. And here's the number to call again 248 248- Six, six, three, four, seven, four, eight. You're listening to the no filter sports podcast. You know, um, so Brandon and I have kind of had this stick here for a little while because of what's been going on with our program, but I've mentioned, You know, he brings this younger perspective to the show, as opposed to Eli Denny and I, as old as we are. (laughs) And I like that. I really do. You can learn things from younger people. I've liked working with Brandon over the last couple of years because I've learned things from him. And I know you older folks out there have learned things from him, too. It's not just a one-way street, the tradition of we older people teaching the younger people. So now Brandon is going to teach me something from this headline I saw on ESPN's website Tuesday. The headline read George Kittle loses it after meeting stone cold Steve Austin. <laughs> Kittle, of course, the great tight end of the San Francisco 49ers. But Brandon, who are stone cold Steve
1: Austin? Who are you mean who is Stone Cold Steve who Austin? Who are
0: stone cold Steve Austin? Oh
1: my gosh. And you call yourself never a heard, I've never heard the name. Steve. Who is he? What? This no, is No, who is he? Oh yeah, the I'm Rattlesnake, old. the Texas Rattlesnake, man. Are you kidding me? He's the greatest is, wrestler possibly is, ever. He, he's he, a he professional ruled, wrestler? He ruled the. He was. I mean, you're talking oh, about a guy who's retired now for about 10, 15 oh, okay. years, but he he, he ruled the uh, late 90s, early 2000s, the Attitude Era in the WWE. This is basically uh, Hulk Hogan, uh, you know, that type of echelon of, you know, okay. wrestling. Okay.
0: So, so for people who are oh from my Detroit, God, who is Stone Cold Steve Austin? Yeah. So, for, so okay. So I'm go. Okay, okay, smart Bob. ass. I'm okay, smart ass. Let me drop some names on you. Who are Haystacks Calhoun, Leaping Larry, Shane, Bobo Brazil, The Sheik? See, these were the big superstars. Well, I, I was a boy going up the Iron in Detroit. Sheik, Dick the Bruiser. Exactly. Ever heard of of Dick the Bruiser? Do
1: you know who The Rock is? You never heard of Dick the Bruiser before? know who Dick the Bruiser is? Everybody knows who Dick the Bruiser is. And everybody should know who Stone Cold Steve (laughs) Austin is. Everybody should know who Dick the Bruiser was. Give me a break. Come
0: on. And, and the Sheik, when the Sheik got hit in the wrestling, we used to watch on Channel 9 out of Windsor. When the Sheik got hit in the wrestling ring, he tried to get himself into a trance. When the Sheik was in a trance, he could not be injured. But the idea was you had to slap him again before he could get into the trance. And you've never heard of the Sheik in professional wrestling? Generational gap. Okay, Brandon, here's another one for you. All right. Here's a news item. EA Sports announced it would be rebooting its popular college football Huge. video game Huge. That, ha- that had been discontinued since 2013. Return date not announced yet. The game will not be available for the 2021 college football season. But, I mean, would you tell all we old folks, what is EA Sports and how do you play those games? How are they played?
1: Oh, come on. Oh, Jesus. Who's Stone Cold Steve Austin? What is a video game? So, so listen.
0: And who is Dick uh, the Bruiser? And, uh, I know who, who Dick was the, the
1: Bruiser is. Come on. So, so EA Sports, NCAA football, was essentially the Madden of college football. So, you know, when you're playing your Xbox, when you're playing your PlayStation, how I think it all it goes all the way back to Super Nintendo. Uh, every single year, a new football game gets released with the updated rosters and all that fun stuff. Madden, it's continued. We still see it in the NFL, the video game. It's very popular. There's massive, massive tournaments uh you get in fact the pro bowl was played on Madden just you know this past weekend so yeah, you said that last these show, these games are big and so in the early 2000s one of the biggest games was also NCAA football and what it would have is every single college team whether it's division 1 division 2 it doesn't matter it has every college team but the players they represented the roster, however, they couldn't use their names. For example, I remember in the early two thousands, I remember playing this game and I would play as the USC Trojans because they had Reggie Bush, Matt Leinart, they had Mike Williams. They didn't have their names, but they had their likeness. They had the same numbers, uh-huh. and, and, and you know that's one of those things where the college athlete is being ripped off because. People would buy this game in bulk just to play it because it was fun. You can play as your Wolverines. You, can, you could even play as you know Western Michigan Broncos and have them win a national championship. Oh. And you just
0: played it, you play it on your c- computer screen. You sit at home and do that on a television kind of screen? <laughs> yeah, a video game.
1: Yeah, you on your, on your TV. Okay,
0: okay. I remember the Pistons <laughs> when I used to cover the Pistons 100 years ago.
1: Uh, guys like Ronnie you remember Lee, Pong, they played Donkey Bud? Kong and Pong? Pac-Man.
0: Kinda, I don't know. Just a name to me. Oh
1: man, you should jump into the uh, video game world. You might like it. I'm currently Maybe. playing a uh, a game as a ninth century Viking. Man, That's fun. You should, huh. you should play this stuff. It can consume a lot of time.
0: Uh, there is a. I don't need to do that. There is a, a book I have in my voluminous library here in West Palm Beach, uh, entitled "An Incomplete Education." And what what this is about is those of us who think of ourselves as educated really either aren't or have forgotten so many things from college or whatever that we really should know if you want to call yourself educated, if you want to call yourself a well-rounded person. And so the book takes you through all these things that, that it just gives you, you know, again, a smattering of many disciplines, many various disciplines uh, to just, you know, it's like to brush up and everything like that. I'd rather do that because there's so many things I don't know that I should. Video games would not be. At the top of my list of things I don't know about, but I should. Now, let me ask if Mark Fellauer is okay.
1: You seen Fellower? Wait, wait, wait. wait. I, let me let me back up a minute because I, okay. I have to. Before we to get def- to Mark, okay, I have to defend the, the, you go know ahead. PlayStation and, and Xbox. No, you no you don't. If
0: you like to play it, you like to play it. No well, defense necessary.
1: Look, it's not sure. Some games are just you play and blah, you know you're not doing anything, you're not learning anything. But they have a lot of games these days. It's essentially reading a book but being interactive. You know, Uh I played Ghosts of Tsushima, so now I know all about the you know, the Mongolian invasion of Japan in 1274. You don't know nothing about it, but I do. because I, I don't. Played the Viz- I don't know
0: anything about that. You're right. You're damn exactly. I'm just, I should.
1: I'm just saying you can learn. <laughs> you can learn a lot as well. Cool. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't be on your high horse looking okay. down on my PlayStation 4, soon to be PlayStation 5.
0: <laughs> so as I said, I'm a little worried about our boy Mark Fellauer. Um, I wonder if he's in a permanent state of shock. Mark, a great guy, of course, and a great pro. Mark is the only American I have ever met who actually loves and follows professional soccer in Europe. So he likely was watching on Tuesday as Manchester United played Southampton. The score was nil. No, not the usual one nil or nil nil on almost every soccer match. The score was nil for Southampton. Nine for Man United. Nine nothing. I thought maybe player losses due to COVID might have been responsible. Apparently not. Apparently, Southampton is just plain awful. This is the second successive season in which they have found themselves on the wrong end of nine goals in a soccer match. After suffering the same fate against Leicester City, just 466 days separate the Saints' two huge 9-0 losses, which stand as joint record heaviest losses in the entire history of the English Premier League. Now, I know what you're wondering. I know what you're thinking. Bob and Brandon, what are the most goals ever scored in one NHL game in the modern era? Any guess?
1: Oh, God. Um...
0: It's more than nine. Okay, I'll give it to you i don't know it's it's 12 and that was scored by the edmonton oilers in a 12 to 9 win over the chicago blackhawks in 1985 so you think about those Oilers teams with Gretz and mess and yari curry and all those guys of those 12 goals how many did wayne Gretzky get in that game zero <laughs> but he got seven assists how about that there was a um Headline the same day, uh, this stuff about the soccer match came out that really pissed me off. You know, you go on the websites these days, and they have they're kind of come-ons. You know, she is the most beautiful woman in the world today, and they want you to click on it so they can run twenty second uh, twenty pages of advertising. So I, I didn't fall for it. I didn't click on this, but the headline of the article was NFL Hall of Famers who might not have earned it, and there was one pick at the top of this article, and that pick was Charlie Sanders. Charlie Sanders, the great Detroit Lions tight end who made the haul only through the Veterans Committee, and I mentioned Jerry Green earlier, and Jerry was really the reason. Jerry championed Charlie Sanders' cause for so long. He played on those awful, on some awful Detroit Lions teams, but Uh, I've mentioned the quote from Wayne Walker before, the Lions linebacker from that era. He said after one particular game, Charlie Sanders is not the best tight end in the National Football League. Charlie Sanders is the best football player in the National Football League. You older people out there, you saw Charlie Sanders play. If you're from Detroit, you know how great he was. And it's just too bad and indicative of the failings of the Lions that not only did it take him this long to get in, but that you have articles now in the year 2021, almost making fun of him? The well, great Charlie Sanders?
1: Yeah, I, don't, I, I didn't see that article. I don't agree with that article. And you have to really look at the evolution of the position. You know, I, I really think that, especially in his era, late 60s to the, you know, uh, the late 70s, your, your tight end was primarily used as a blocker, more or less, uh, in, in, especially compared to today's game. Charlie Sanders played what, uh, 10 seasons or whatever, he ended when he was... Yeah, he was hurt. Charlie got hurt. He ended when he was... Because he played so hard. ...when he was 31 years old. Fast forward to today, and who's 31 years old? I'm pretty sure Rob Gronkowski is 31 years old. I'm pretty sure Travis oh, sure. Kelsey is 31 years old. I think and, Tom is 43, right? Well, what I mean is... I'm, I'm, <laughs> I, I know mean, what I mean by, by a tight end standard... It's it's a different game now. Kelsey has scored what uh, over a thousand yards receiving in just every year the last five years. So yeah. it's it's a completely different type of position. Uh, you know, Charlie Sanders was extremely. Uh, efficient in the position he was very consistent too he was constantly a 500 yard receiver at the tight end position in a time where they didn't get that much receiving yards and he did it for multiple years so yeah it's just it's a generational thing and it's a change in in how the game is played
0: when i covered those lines teams and i was still back in my hometown of detroit um They had a young assistant coach, uh, older than I, but a young assistant coach with whom I had a good relationship. And I want to tell you about him uh, in just a moment, but we have to say goodbye to our radio audience in Toledo. First of all, I want to thank you guys so much for all your support of this show, for joining us in the program today. Do not miss Gary Myers. He's going to be a great guest. So go to our website, and you'll be able to hear the rest of the show, your mailbag, and the interview with Gary. You've been listening to the No Filter Sports Podcast. So this guy was... uh, a linebackers coach, uh, with Alliance back then he ran into a couple of restaurants. We always have friendly chat and he went on to riches and a lot of fame in the national football league. When he left Detroit, his name is Marty Schottenheimer. News came out this week that Marty has now been moved to a hospice facility near his home in Charlotte, North Carolina complications from Alzheimer's disease. He's listed as stable condition, but, uh, but Marty's been dying for some time. Now he's 77 was diagnosed with Alzheimer's in 2014, and just what a horrible, horrible disease. And I I know at some point, we human beings are going to find a way to cure this, but we ain't done it yet. And it's just so, so bad. And another person with Alzheimer's, severe Alzheimer's, they said, who passed away this week, a great guy, so sorry to say that I did not know him and I never met him, right from my childhood baseball cards, Wayne Terwilliger died at age 95, and what a life he led. Nicknamed Twig, he played nine seasons in Major League Baseball between 1949 and 1960 with the Cubs, the Brooklyn Dodgers, the old Washington Senators, the old New York Giants, and the old Kansas City Athletics. And then he had a long and meritorious career as a big league coach and minor league manager, which did not end until the Claire, Michigan native retired at age 85. More than that, I want to tell you, and if you didn't know, Wayne Terwilliger was an American hero. He joined the Marines in 1943 following his 18th birthday and was sent immediately as a radio man on an amphibious tank to the Pacific Theater to fight the Japanese. While overseas, Corporal Wayne Terwilliger participated in the invasions, the bloody invasions where we lost so many boys, Tinian and Iwo Jima. He had his tank knocked out from under him at Saipan. He quickly jumped out and he ran zigzag to get away from Japanese machine gun fire. Moments later, they blew his tank up and Terwilliger would have been killed. He was discharged from the war in late 1945, and he attended what was then Western Michigan College, where he quickly became a star shortstop in 1948. After finishing at Western, Wayne Terwilliger was playing second base with the semi-pro Benton Harbor Buds in Michigan. He was signed as a free agent in July by the Chicago Cubs, and the rest was really, in one sense, baseball history because of this long career Wayne Terwilliger had. Let's go to the mailbag now, shall we, Brandon?
1: Let's do
0: it. From Twitterverse, Brandon has is, is dropped out of Twitter. Didn't I like haven't
1: dropped out of Twitter. I just don't post it constantly uh, because I, I don't want to – I don't want to flood everybody's feed. and then plus, if I say the wrong thing, I'll probably lose my job. So I just uh, I decided to just you know use it as a tool to, to learn some news and to watch.
0: Son, I've said the wrong thing so many times throughout my career and lost so many jobs throughout my career. And here I am <laughs> still hang, still hanging on and hanging out with you. So from your mailbag from Twitterverse, where you can always at least tweet me at Bob page sports about Monday's podcast this week, Ed Clee in the Lansing area says excellent show today. You and Brandon keep it interesting and entertaining thumbs up. Well done gentlemen, even though Eddie Brandon doesn't love, you know, like being a sports commentator. He really prefers to be the behind the scenes, excellent engineer and producer that he is now I must say this also author Tom Stanton helped make that show Ed and he really touched a nerve with a lot of us talking about his relationship with his dad and relationships in general between fathers and sons often based on shared baseball experiences I mentioned that my dad took me to my first game at Briggs Stadium in 1959 but later died an accidental death when he was just 39 and I was 13. That's something I obviously have never really gotten over. We mentioned Eli Zerritt being so moved by Tiger Woods' relationship with his father, seen on the recent HBO documentary, this in the context with Eli's own relationship with his emotionally distant father. Clyde Sanders tweeted, "'Great show, guys. I listen to you all the time while working.'" I drive 100 to 200 miles every day. I've had a strained relationship with my father, and this led to a strained relationship with my son too. The one great thing we shared was baseball throughout it. We could always talk about baseball. My dad is now 87, he's not doing so well. My son is 40 and I couldn't be prouder of him. We have all gotten to a better place and baseball has been a big part of mending our relationships.
1: Sure, it's that big distraction, and plus, it it gives somebody, especially fathers and sons, a lot to bond over. My, yeah, are, you my close dad, to, are you close to your dad? I chat with my dad quite a bit. We uh, we we were big into the Red Wings. You got to understand that when I was a kid, I mean, they were coming up, and my dad and I were fortunate enough to attend a lot of games together, especially during those big, awesome runs of '97, '98, 2002, 2008. I mean, we we it really. You know, when things were down or you were battling with Dad, you could always sit down and watch a game together and get pumped. But the team sucks right now, so my dad and I haven't been watching a lot of games together. My dad grew
0: up in a little town in Oklahoma and knew nothing about hockey. He just wound up, you know, working as an attorney in Detroit, but he still got us tickets to go to the Olympia. And I was there the night Gordy Howe scored his uh, goal that tied Rocket Richard's career record. So I won't forget that, even though I wonder how much my father really knew about what was happening. It's, it's I want to mention
1: you, you, you mentioned the Olympia real quick. And, and, you know, I grew up a big Red Wings fan, but the only thing I ever knew was JLA Joe Louis arena here. And it's just weird for me to think about, Joe Louis Arena in a sense that people think about the Olympia because I never knew it. I never saw it. And, and my daughter, you know, when, when when she grows up, she's never going to know the JLA. So that's that's weird to me.
0: Yeah. uh huh. I want to mention this tweet from regular D Champ Green because it reflected, without necessarily meaning to, the point that I made on the last show about Tom Izzo and his staff perhaps being wrong in their evaluations of some of their Michigan State players coming out of high school. He wrote, Izzo's issues could be an entire show. No point guard. Wings not making shots. Overall, terrible season. I feel bad for Josh Langford. He hasn't played great, but I wanted a nice last season for him. Yeah, I mean, look, the point guard was supposed to be freshman A.J. Hogarth this year of Toronto. We heard great things about him. I ain't seen it. I've said foster lawyers not big enough are good enough to play at the big 14 level. We could go right down the list of MSU's roster this way. Al Kopak wrote about last Thursday's show with Detroit News Hall of Fame baseball writer Tom Gage. He said, I found all the opinions on the Hall of Fame very interesting. Brandon's take from a younger man's view, Tom's view is a person who gets to vote, and yours and Denny's view is the old guard. I tend to believe that Barry Bonds should not be elected to the Hall of Fame. Just looking at the contrast of his days in Pittsburgh compared to San Francisco, to me is telltale. I personally think he made a mockery of the game. As I truly enjoy the show, Al adds, I kicked in a couple bucks to go along with my monthly contribution, my way of saying thanks for all the entertainment. Al, you're welcome. You've been a great friend of the show, and so of so many of you listening to us right now. Thank you and thank all of you guys out there for everything. We do have a donate button on our website, but I I rarely uh, I rarely mention that. Freddie the Pizza Man. He says, I understand the conversation by the baseball world on having Kurt Schilling in the Hall of Fame. For me as a fan, I don't look at his off field stuff. But how the hell is Mickey Lowellish not even considered? It really pisses me off. If Schilling wants to off the Hall of Fame ballot, fine then put Lowlich back on it. Mickey deserves it for game seven of the 68 series alone and his career. Isn't Bill Mazeroski in for a game seven home run? Side note, I don't listen to the other podcasts a lot. I'm just too busy to. I'm a big fan of Mark fell hours when I do, but I will say Brandon doesn't get enough credit for all his work. What Brandon does is not easy, and he makes it sound great. I second that Freddie. Thank you. But That's I want to great. tell you this also, Fred, Bill Mazeroski, was inarguably one of the greatest defensive second basemen who ever lived. An absolute master at turning the pivot on the double play. So I think your argument would have been better served had you said, if Maz is in the Hall of Fame, how come Lou Whitaker isn't? As far as Mickey Lulitz goes, okay, look at the numbers. Lulitz was 217 and 191, 3.44. His war was 48. Kurt Schilling Won 216 games, lost 146. Pretty similar, ERA 3.46, all right? Lolich's most similar player to him in the BaseballReference.com uh, website was, ironically, former Tiger star Jim Bunning, who is in the Hall of Fame, though some people think he shouldn't be. Schilling, Lolich it's not a bad comparison, but right now neither is in the Hall of Fame. You can make your website submissions to us at nofiltersportspodcast.com or at asknofilter at gmail.com. Jan Prusanowski says, it's a funny thing that author Tom Stanton mentioned Detroit's Black Legion on the last show after writing about them in one of his books. TCM just played the movie Black Legion 10 days ago. A very young Humphrey Bogart is the lead character who was picked over, passed over, for the job of a foreman on a site. And so he joins the BL. He says, it's quite freaky that this movie was based on true events as they went down in Detroit. Georgia Mark says, I love the show. Just wanted to see if you had seen the ESPN ranking of the Lions' 2020 rookie class. I haven't, Georgia. The article states, quote, prized pick Jeff Okuda generated the worst war of any non-quarterback in the 2020 class, The other two rookies who played the most guard Jonah Jackson, seventy-five overall, and a defensive tackle named John Panasini, number one hundred and ninety-seven overall, also generated negative WAR. And it goes on to say, I honestly didn't care for the the hiring of Matt Patricia from the start, and the attitude that they Quinn and Patricia were smarter. Than all the other teams with picks like Jelani Tavai well above their projected draft position. I don't know about this new Lions regime, but they can't be any worse than the previous Belichick Brady coattail riders. And Jimmy Limit Lions, and I, th- I think we'll close with him today, Brandon, says, fellas, With all of our local teams, both college and pro, struggling other than Michigan basketball, leave it to the Lions to give us something to talk about, at least. A blockbuster trade that leaves us all with opinions and plenty to debate. Bob, although I respect your thoughts on the trade and can see your point about Jared Goff's huge contract for the next two years, let's look at it this way. Goff has two years left on his contract. The Lions have 13 picks in the first three rounds between now and 2023. Obviously, the Lions are committed to building through the draft. These picks will all be on rookie contracts, which means in two years, once Goff's contract ends, presumably he doesn't come back, there are going to be plenty of salary cap space to mix in top free agents. Combine that with a stockpile of young talent, you'll have a very competitive Detroit Lions team. Of course, the Lions have to hit on most of these draft picks to make this happen, but it seems that the Lions finally... Have a plan for the future that makes sense, which is something I have never seen in my lifetime, and I'm kind of (laughs) old. Maybe, Jimmy, but I I would just refer you to Pete Townsend and Roger Daltrey's line, we won't get fooled again. At least I'm not going to be. And don't forget, you can always call us, leave a message, or you can text us at 760-89-BALLS. With that, let's get to our special guest. Gary Myers is a name known to most serious pro football fans based in New York where he has always been an unabashed fan of the Mets and even worked as a young man with the late legendary Hall of Famer Ralph Kiner on his Mets TV segments Gary's covered the NFL since 1978 in 1981. He joined the Dallas Morning News as a Cowboys beat writer and later became the paper's NFL columnist, as did my boyhood pal, who we mentioned earlier, Rick Goslin, just on this show as well a short time ago. So Gary remained in Dallas until 1989 when he returned to his native New York. This is where we first met, and he joined the New York Daily News as the NFL columnist writing about the Giants and Jets. His work is not just in in print, though. He's done so much stuff in television and radio. He was on Sirius Satellite. Yes Network in New York. And I think many of you remember him as the NFL insider for HBO's Inside the NFL. That was a post he held from 89 to 2001. No strangers to the brave new world of podcasting either. After writing the New York Times bestseller, Brady versus Manning, Gary Miners has a podcast, The Goat, which is all about Tom Brady. Gary, so great to see you again, man. Welcome to this show. And well, let me ask you, I mean, I've never, I've never met Tom Brady. What's he actually like? Well,
2: wow, just you reading that resume of mine, I, I've been busy. That's pretty impressive. I've been busy all these years. Yeah, pretty impressive. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll give you a good story about Brady. I had known him casually, I would say, for the first 10 or so years of his career, Bob, when, uh, you know, Giants and, and, and Jets, if they played the Patriots, or I got to be around him at the Super Bowl, but never really had much more of, of a relationship than just kind of Nodding each other like he to each other, he would recognize me and uh, and kind of just nod his head, but didn't really know my name and and um, I don't think I had talked to him more than once, just one on one. But when I decided that I wanted to do this book, I, I went up to training camp uh, in in Foxborough in in two thousand and thirteen, and after he got done with a group interview, I told him what the premise of my book was and that I really appreciate his cooperation. The book was not in collaboration with either Peyton or Tom, but I needed them to cooperate and just sit for interviews. And and, and Tom was just all in immediately, and and he was great. Um, I, I really do like him very much personally. I think he's a very nice guy. Uh, I know his reputation and his image. Either, I mean, he's very polarizing. I guess you would say, kind of like you were, Bob, when you back in MS- <laughs> your. <York. laughs> If you wake up, I I, I think Tom is. uh, I think he's a really good guy. I think his heart, uh, Mm -hmm. place, you know, family-wise, and he was very cooperative um, when I needed him to do my book.
0: That's pretty cool. So now he goes into Sunday's Super Bowl. And when Goslin, who you know very well, was Mm -hmm. on the show a little while ago, Rick said he thought due to the COVID issues, the Super Bowl might not be played until March. Amazingly, the NFL didn't lose a single game this year. We're going to play it on time. Are you surprised by this?
2: Well, I, I think you'd have to be surprised if you go back to, say, August and say, you know, is there is, is there a chance that the Super Bowl is going to be pushed back or that the regular season would have to be extended and the playoffs get pushed? Back? Well, yeah, I mean, who wouldn't have thought that after we saw what happened with baseball's late start, the NBA going into a bubble, and the NFL wasn't doing that, uh, the NHL going into a bubble. The expectation that the NFL would make it through unscathed and play the Super Bowl on time, I think that was just wishful thinking. They had a couple of games – that they had a reschedule, you know, a week or so later, uh, team, the Broncos had to play a game with no quarterbacks. Basically the Browns had a game where all their wide receivers were out, but those are the really the only two instances that I can think of that if teams were really compromised, uh, by COVID and for them to get to this point that they're playing the Super Bowl on time, it's going to kick off at six 30 on Sunday, just as they had planned, uh, is pretty amazing. I well, how did,
0: how did we know how the NHL and the NBA did it? They went into bubbles, okay, and we see what's happened to them since. It's a it's a disaster in both leagues right now. How did the NFL do this? How they pull it off?
2: You know, well, first of all, there's not as much traveling, and I think that probably has something to do with it. But I would imagine, Bob, that every coach got up there for their first team meeting in July, early August, whenever it was, and said, "Listen, you can either be dedicated to your social life this season." or you can be dedicated to the team and try to be the last team standing. But the Super Bowl, which might be the team that is able to avoid the virus the best and avoid spread super spreading in the locker room, avoid all these close contacts, and the team that's able to make it through like that, you know, will be holding the trophy at the end. So what's more important, you know, committing to each other here or committing to go hanging out in bars, which you shouldn't be doing anyhow? And you know, for the most part, I think the players were compliant. And then the NFL had very strict protocols, and they tested the players every day. That wasn't supposed to be at first, but the, the players' association wanted to be tested every day. I'm sure it was incredibly expensive, but the league has an awful lot of money, and they did it the right way. And uh, they were very strict on on the um, the contact tracing and then the close contacts, and there was no bending of the rules. You know, whether you were a star or you're on the practice squad, uh, they all had to play by the same rules. And, you know, all credit, you know, to the league for, for putting these protocols in place. But, you know, even more so to the players who I think more than the great majority of them um, stuck by doing the right thing. And, you know, as a result, the season got played as scheduled. I think it's I, I think it's a. It, It's unexpected that they made it to this point without anything getting severely pushed back that would have pushed the Super Bowl back. That, of
0: course, is the big story in football nationally now. But there was another big story in football nationally earlier in the week. uh, And it's a huge uh, story to our audience, of course. And Mm -hmm. that was the straight of Matthew Stafford uh, to the Rams and the Jared Goff deal. Give us your take on that.
2: I think that, you know, it's been unfortunate for Stafford his whole career that they haven't He hasn't had the infrastructure around him with the Lions that could have helped him have much more success. On the other hand, you know, he made the playoffs, what, two or three times and didn't win a playoff game. I think that the Rams so completely overpaid for Stafford in this trade. You know, quite honestly, I could have even seen, seen Stafford for Goff straight up. Their contracts aren't that much different. I think Goff is making $10 million more total over the next two years than Stafford is. And to think that the Rams had to throw in two ones, and I think it was a three, I think that's what it was, and Goff to get Stafford. This thing is just so heavily weighted in the Lions' favor. I mean, maybe Stafford goes deep into the playoffs with the Rams, but um, he doesn't, to me at least – and, you know, I didn't, I didn't get to see him as much as, as, as the people in Detroit, but, you know, I pretty much saw him every Thanksgiving and then maybe one primetime game. Um, I, I don't look at him as an elite quarterback. And I'm not so sure in the long run the Lions aren't better off with Goff than Stafford anyhow, and now they have all the extra picks as well. So, in other words, Goff got so much criticism, and, and
0: I guess deservedly so, down the stretch of the season. So you think this was an aberration, his poor play, and you think he's going to be fine now?
2: But just think about this. It was only two years ago that the, the Rams basically, you know, unlocked Stan Kroenke's vault to get this guy signed. And they've gone through two seasons since then. I know last year they didn't make the playoffs. This year they did. They did win a playoff game in Seattle, and Goff had a broken right thumb. I mean, that, that's pretty impressive to be able to play a playoff game and win it when your hand is compromised like that. And they were in the game in Green Bay. Um the, the, the Rams have done three things with Goff that you can question. One is how much they gave up to move up to get him. It was two ones, two twos, and two threes. And then 15, 16, four years into his career, I had to count there how many years it was, um, they made this huge financial commitment to him. And then after just two years, not only did they dump him, but they got to basically pay Detroit to take him, which is something mm-hmm. in, a, in a lot of sports. Um
0: Is this similar to what's going on uh, where you are in New York with Sam Darnold and the Jets? I mean, this kid looks like he still could be a real good quarterback to me, and
2: everybody wants to run him out of town. Yeah, I mean, Sam Darnold, maybe there's a lot of similarities. It's interesting. Darnold's first career start was against the Lions. Oh, oh, I was
0: there. I was there, and that interception that he threw, the Lion DB returns to the end zone right in front of me. I was sitting like in the second row
2: (laughs) right in front of me. Welcome to the NFL, son. Yeah, Yeah. really. That was a terrible play call. They have him rolling to his right and throwing back to his left. (laughs) His NFL career. But, you know, Sam really has had the misfortune of being coached by Adam Gase uh, the last two years, which I thought Adam was going to be fine here. You know, he had a great reputation as an offensive coach in Denver, although I think he got a little too much credit for Peyton Manning. I mean, Peyton was a finished product, obviously, by the time he got to Denver. But he was the OC in the year that Peyton threw 55 touchdown passes and the line, and the Broncos set the record for most points. But his reputation took a huge hit in Miami, and he was just the wrong guy for Darnold. Sam Darnold's 23 years old. He was the third pick in the draft. Listen, if the Jets had the first pick in the draft, they'd be taking Trevor Lawrence. I'm not sure they're taking a quarterback now. I think there's still a very good chance that Darnold gets his fourth year um, with the Jets this year. They don't commit to the fifth-year option. They don't have to do that now. And if he has a great year, they'll take the chances on signing him. Yeah, well, 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 Brett
0: Favre said the other day that if he were Jacksonville, he wouldn't even be taking Lawrence. He'd be taking Devontae Smith because the guy's such an amazing player. So you let the Jets, why wouldn't the Jets take him
2: and give Donald a major weapon? Well, they could do that, but the Jets are in a good position now if they're going to stick with Darnold to trade down because with, with Zach Wilson and Justin Fields there, you know one team is going to fall in love with them.
1: Mm-hmm. And,
2: you know, if they can find a team that where the Jets only have to move back two or three spots, and you know, there's three really, really good, you know, receivers in this draft, you know, Jamar Chase also and the other kid from Alabama and 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 Smith. And if the Jets have them fairly close on the board and they can pick up an extra first round pick to move back two or three spots, yeah, that's the way to build a team.
0: Yeah. Um, and now we've got all this quarterback movement, whether uh, Donald goes or not. Uh, we got a situation where Deshaun uh, wants out of Houston, where the Steelers uh, are having uh, an issue with Ben Roethlisberger, though it looks like they might bring him back, where Philip Rivers retires. What's Indy going to do? How do you see all these musical chairs ending?
2: Well, I think it's fascinating because if, if you go team by team throughout the league, which we won't do here, but... Um, you can make a case that there could be 13 or 14 teams that are looking to trade, not trade, to come, bring in uh, new starting quarterbacks going into 2021. I mean, there's a lot of fascinating situations. Um, right at the top of the list is what you just mentioned with Deshaun Watson. What are the Texans going to do? I mean, they don't want to trade him. But if if he's insistent, after he meets Nick Casario and David Colley, the new GM and coach, which he has not done yet, if they're unable to appease him, and I know he's really mad at Calvin McNair because the whole thing started because he was supposed to be consulted on the GM hire, and uh, and he wasn't. So now, he, you know, he's all upset about that. But if they can smooth that over, then they're not going to trade him. If, if he's telling them, I'm, I'm not coming to training camp, I'm going to cause problems for you, they can either, you know hard line, which is probably knowing you, Bob, that's what you probably say is <laughs> "Hey, you just signed a contract four months ago, stick to the contract. Uh, we're not trading you, but if, if they don't want. And you know
0: what else I'd say, Gary, I would say what Brett Favre also said the other day about Deshaun Watson, son, you're making millions
2: of dollars. Shut up play. But is that shut up and dribble? <laughs> right. I mean, people have made that comparison, you know, about, you know, LeBron being told to shut up and dribble, which is completely different because that was, you know, he's talking about social justice issues. This is about,
0: right. It. Yeah.
2: My, my feeling is that Watson committed to the organization and, and it wasn't that long ago. And listen, if he's been insulted that the owner didn't follow through on, on, on um, consulting with him on the GM thing, I mean, come on, man up here, grow up. If you can get a commitment that the team, from the management, the new management of the team, listen, we know we haven't given you enough help here. We're doing everything to build the team around you. We've made this huge financial commitment. Give us a chance. If they do that and he still turns his back on them.
1: Getting rid With of DeAndre Trump, Hopkins, though, I mean, you're getting rid yeah, of that that number one of the number one receivers in the entire league and you get rid of him. I mean, that doesn't give the quarterback a lot of, hope going forward if you're just going to get rid of his weapons like that
2: no brandon you're right about that and um I, I still don't really understand that trade i i have to figure it was just o'brien having some issues with hopkins uh that he just didn't want to deal with anymore whatever they might have been because you don't trade one of the two or three best receivers in the league for a second round pick and a running back that Cardinals might have cut anyhow and David Johnson yeah.
0: and, and they, Gary, they got another problem too. Does JJ Watt want to stay? You keep hearing that they might
2: want to move him or he might yeah. want to move on. Well, I, I mean, JJ Watt has been the face of that franchise and I don't think they move him unless he wants out. Um, and he's done enough there that if he does want out, maybe they would owe that to him because he's getting towards the tail end of his career. Um, to me, that wouldn't be not, wouldn't even register compared to, the Watson situation because JJ Watson has been hurt a lot and he's been around a long time. Um, listen, if, if McNair offered Watson the opportunity to take part in the search process and then for whatever reason, didn't follow through. I mean, I can understand Watson being upset, but at the same time, what quarterback gets to have a say in who the general manager, or the coach is going to be. I mean, that that's kind of unheard of for the most part. Um, so, mm-hmm. Um, I I think, I think Houston was wrong in making him a promise and not following through, following through, but, um, they also made a huge commitment to him. I remember how emotional he got at the press conference after he signed that contract, a lot has changed since then. O'Brien is gone, which is probably a good thing. Um, I'm a little disappointed that, I mean, Watson hasn't said anything himself. He's got people talking for him. Um, I'd be disappointed if he doesn't at least give Cully and Casario a chance to, yeah, you know, pat him on the back and tell him, be okay. Let
0: let me ask you this: You mentioned O'Brien coaches. Uh, It's a wonderful thing to be a college coach uh, like Saban because you can go out and get whatever players you want. Doesn't work Mm -hmm. that way in pro football. How is Urban Meyer going to do in Jacksonville?
2: Well, if he can bring all the Ohio State players with him, other than the (laughs) (laughs) quarterbacks, who've never done very well. Yeah, I mean, listen, for every Jimmy Johnson, there's basically nobody else. I mean, Jim, <laughs> because Jimmy was in charge of personnel. He made that incredible Herschel Walker trade, which accelerated everything in Dallas. Um, but there's a lot of college coaches, Nick Saban being one of them, who went to the NFL and turned around and went back with a losing record two years later. Um I don't think that Urban Meyer is in this for the long haul. Um, Year one will be the transition year with Trevor Lawrence and, you know, trying to maximize maximize all their draft picks. And they they do have some good young players there. Um, Year two and three is when he's going to look to win. And I think after year three, he's out of there. It's just just kind of interesting.
0: Yeah. Or he has health. issues. Well, Gary, all all this stuff has just been the the preliminaries today before we get to the main bout. And the main bout, when it comes to you, and I'm kind of on board with you here, too. I've lived in New York for so long. After this huge deal with Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco, are the Mets going to win it
2: all this year? I'm disappointed they didn't sign George Springer. They were $25 million short, which to me, when your new owner is is worth $14 billion. It's kind of a drop in the bucket and they're probably concerned about the luxury tax, but um, other than that, I mean, there's nothing not to like about the Lindor trade. Uh, They gave up two shortstops that he's replacing. Um, He's a, he's a great player. I know he didn't play all that well last year, but you know, you talk about aberrations, a 60 game season. A lot of times players are just getting warmed up after 60 games. So I don't, I don't really hold that. I don't put too much stock in that. Um, Jacob DeGrom's been the best pitcher in baseball for three years They're not out of the Trevor Bauer uh, negotiations, but I don't know how you pay him a penny more than you've paid. Is, is, is Syndergaard okay now? Uh, well, he's recovering from Tommy John and he saw, saw some stuff that he put on Twitter, but they don't expect him back until June, which if he comes back and he's a hundred percent in June, that's fine. That's almost like an addition at the trade deadline. And, um, yeah, and then they they fixed the bullpen somewhat um, during the offseason.
0: You haven't answered my question. Are the Mets going to win it all?
2: Oh, okay. I was kind of getting to that. Are they going to win it all? <laughs> well, I hope they do, and I, I would I would put them right at the top of the list. If you want a flat prediction, yeah, I'll say they're going to win it all. Because... Okay. Well
0: our, well, our audience hopes that the Detroit Tigers are going to win it all, but they ain't, and we all know they ain't, and we all know they ain't going <laughs> nowhere. However... We do have a guy now. It looks like he is going to be the starting catcher. And that is former Matt Wilson Ramos with the ball club the last couple of years. So give all the Detroit fans listening, uh, a scouting report on Wilson Ramos.
2: I, I hate to say this, but over the last two years, I can't think of a player that's ever been on the Mets that I've enjoyed watching less. <laughs> Wilson Ramos, uh, not a great defensive catcher. I was disappointed. He has a strong arm. Um, Bob, I think you can run faster than him running backwards. He clogs up the bases. Uh, a ground ball in the hole is short. He'll be 45 feet down the line, and the ball will be in the first baseman's glove. I mean, he's just incredibly slow. You need an hourglass to time him. To first base.
0: <laughs> and you know the scary thing about this, Gary? Two names you don't know, the kids the Tigers have
2: already, He's still better than they are, not, well, even the way you're describing him. <laughs> and he, I, I think, you know, from what I saw the last two years, I think he's. I mean, he's he's a good contact hitter. Uh, he's a line drive hitter. Can has a little pop in his bat, but um, the ball has got to leave the infield for him to have a chance. Yeah, to get, yeah, not going to beat out anything. <laughs>
0: said, so what kind of guy is, uh, well, if he was at least, the richest owner in Major League Baseball, Steve Cohen, until he lost all this dough recently and
2: the GameStop thing. Do you know him? Have you met him? What kind of guy no, is No, I haven't. Um, I think that he's still probably the richest owner in, in baseball. Um, you know, the funny thing about him, he grew up in, in Bayside in Queens. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, in Great Neck, right over the Queens border. And and I grew up in Fresh Meadows, which is in Queens, which I wouldn't expect anybody in detroit area to know either one of those places but i'd say about seven miles apart and he was a huge mets fan growing up as i was and you know i was a vendor at chase stadium like you mentioned before i worked on Kiner's corner in the met games so the only difference between me and and steve cohen is 14 billion and change <laughs> <laughs> and if i had his money i would have bought the mets a long time ago mm-hmm. i would have loved to have done that and I give him credit so far because he's not playing fantasy baseball with all his money and going out and buying everything. There is some kind of natural order to the way they're trying to build a team and and spend the money wisely, Uh, which, you know, you got to really control yourself when you have unlimited resources, not to just say, "Okay, I want Bauer. I want Lindor that they traded for. I want Springer to be my everyday center fielder. You know, let's go get JT Real Muto instead of um, James McCann, who they signed Hmm. for. In other other words, George
0: Steinbrenner East. Is that what you're saying?
2: Yeah. And I I, I think that um, Cohen was very sensitive to not incurring the wrath of the rest of the baseball owners by just having a blind check approach. Um, And by hiring Sandy Alderson to run the operation, who's very well respected within baseball. Uh, and he did that prior to being approved by ownership. I definitely think he was trying to send a message to the owners before the vote. Like, I got this guy in here who's conservative. Uh, he thinks through everything. He doesn't act rashly. Um, and I think Sandy helped him get the vote. Mm-hmm. And, and now the, Sandy is following through him with just exactly the way you thought he would. He made one major move when he was with the Mets, and that was trading for Cespedes from the Tigers, and that helped him get to the World Series. Um, and the, the corresponding move here is is trading for Lindor.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Gary, you've been great. Uh, we, we can't let you go without uh, telling us how you see Sunday's Super Bowl unfolding. And if you're the kind of guy who makes predictions, I'm really not, who do you like in the game?
2: Well, I do like the Bucks to win this one. I'll even give you a score. I think it's 31-27. And here, here's my reasoning. And I know you were in New York. Uh, you were still in New York, I think, when the Giants won, beat the Patriots. Yeah. I've
0: never left New York.
2: I've lived in New, right, York. Right. I've lived mean, New you, York 33 years. Right. If you were still at MSG, then I can't remember. Yeah. But if, if you do recall in the final game of the 07 season when the Patriots were going, the undefeated season, and they played the Giants in the last game, and the Giants already had their seating locked up, but they played all out to win because Coughlin felt they needed to play well to generate momentum going into the playoffs. And although the Giants lost the game 38-35, it had the intended effect. Um, of giving them that momentum. And then they went and played the Patriots tough in the Super Bowl and beat them and hold them to, held them to set 14 points. And the Patriots had just come off the season when they set the record for most points in a season. But I think they had gained a lot of confidence how they played them in that final game of the season. Now, how does that relate to Sunday? The Bucks played the Chiefs on November 29th. The Chiefs play this game at a different speed than any other team in the league, especially Tyreek Hill. And after getting blitzed in the first quarter and they being down 17-0, and Hill, if you can imagine this, in the first quarter had 203 yards receiving in the first quarter. Oh, Bob, wow. but that, not one receiver in the league had a 200-yard game, and he had it in the first quarter. Mm-hmm. The rest of the game, the Bucks outscored him 24-10 to and held Hill the 66 yards, which is still a lot for three quarters, but not quite the same when you get 203 in the first quarter. In the first quarter, so I think the Bucks have now had the experience of going against that fast-paced, fast-break offense. They actually obviously made an adjustment the last three quarters. I think they'll make further adjustments on Sunday, much different than if they had never faced them. Because it is different than anything else in the league because of the speed they have all over the board and with Mahomes just being a magician. So I think Todd Bowles is a good enough defensive coordinator that he's going to find some things here. Both of the Chiefs' starting tackles are out. The the Bucks have a very good pass rush with Shaq Barrett and JPP, and uh, so I, I think the Bucks, in, in a very weird, bizarre, unique way, um, the Bucks being the first team, the Bucks of all teams being the first team to get that Super Bowl at home, first year for Tom Brady. Uh, They've had a little magic going here in the playoffs. I think the Bucs.
0: Yeah. And and do you think in his heart of hearts, Bill Belichick wants to see Brady win this game to continue the talk? Well, All those years in New England, clearly it was Brady who was mainly responsible for winning those Super Bowls and not
2: Belichick. Um, If Bill is ever asked publicly that question, he'll dance around it. But. In my mind, there's not a chance in the world he wants Brady to win on Sunday.
0: <laughs> Very interesting. And if Brady wins on Sunday, as you say he will, does he really go through with what he's talking about, Plan until at
2: least 45, a couple more years? I, I think it will only reinforce to him to keep going. You know, I've been asked a bunch this week, You know, if he wins, will he, lo- will he leave? Or if he loses, will it be so down in the dumps uh, that he'll leave? Sunday's got nothing to do with it. I think if they if he wins, he'll be motivated to win another one next year. If he loses, he'll be motivated to try to win it next year. Yeah. And I, I talked to his dad last week for my, my podcast. And I got to know Tom Sr. really well when I was doing my book. And I said to him, you know, Tom says he wants to play till he's forty-five. And this was a couple of days before he said, before Tom said that he can definitely sleep playing past 45. But when I asked his dad this, I said, What do you think he's gonna do? He goes, I have no idea other than he said to me, Dad. I'm going to play until I suck. <laughs> and, and I said, well, you know what? That makes a lot of sense to me. And as long as he's physically capable yeah. and skill-wise, he doesn't feel like his skill set is diminished. He's yeah. going to keep going because you know what, Bob? He loves this. And there's nothing else right now that he really wants to do. Yeah. You know, these players now are young enough to be his son and half his age. I think he really enjoys it, and he knows once he walks away, there's no turning back. Um, He's not going to pull Michael Jordan because Jordan was, what, 35 or 36 at that point when he sat out a couple years before going to the Wizards. Once Tom walks away, that's it, and I just don't think he's walking away when he thinks he's good enough and feels good enough to win another Super Bowl.
0: Gary Myers you've been a great guest but then again knowing you I expected nothing less thanks so much for joining yeah, us did. on the show today <laughs> appreciate it and
2: hey Bob if I can just mention to your listeners that the podcast is called "The Goat Tom Brady and uh, they can probably get it when they get your podcasts or where you get any podcasts
0: wherever fine podcasts are sold there like this go. one <laughs> thanks Gary and thank you folks for joining us we really appreciate it on this edition of No Filter Sports Podcast